Good day, friends of This Good Word. Uh, I am so excited to be uh, letting you in on a couple of announcements. Number one is that, I, to be honest, I have been having so many good conversations with guests lately uh, that, I, that I, they have actually been piling up, <laughs> to be totally honest. And I want you to hear them because they're so good. Uh, so for the next several weeks, I'll be, uh, I'll be putting out two podcasts a week. One on Tuesdays, those will be my, with my guests. And then the one on Thursdays, I'm going to be starting a new conversation, a series actually on God. God part one, part two, part three, however long it takes. I want to talk about the expansive God, the ineffable God, the mysterious God, the God that we cannot fit into systematic theologies or boxes, the God that is always surprising us, the God that we can't pin down, the God that is always making all things new. There's some passages of scripture that I want to walk you through, and there's some ideas that I want to walk you through that have been brewing in me for quite some time now. So uh, that is very exciting. Number two, I have created a Patreon page. Patreon is a way that uh, followers of certain podcasts or certain artists can support the artists that they listen to for a very small amount of money per month in exchange for lots of cool stuff. So the lots of cool stuff that I'd like to give all my patrons is the first two chapters of my next book I have available immediately uh, via a PDF. Uh, the book is called Whole, Restoring What is Broken in Me, You, and the Entire World. It's coming out in August, but I want to give you these first two chapters for uh, immediately for all patrons. And then for those who decide to support at a little bit of a higher level, I want to give access to the This Good Word online community so that you all can take the conversation farther. I've heard from so many of you that you want to keep talking about these topics. Well, uh, become a patron and you can. Also, I'll be putting out uh, an, another piece of weekly content. Many times it'll be writing. Sometimes it'll be a video. Sometimes it'll be extra footage of podcast guests, but it'll be available only to patrons. Uh, so please head over to my Patreon page. You can get there by going to patreon.com slash thisgoodword. Thank you so much, gang. Uh, I, I love uh, hearing from you. I love the impact that this good word seems to be having all around the world. And uh, I would appreciate uh, being in it together. Lights kill all in a darkening house. Ghost of doubt, whispering one. And yet there, there he was, there they are. Uh, just like our society, there are all types of people and they're all impacted horribly by war. And so here's this little boy and I went over and sat in a chair that was sort of between his bed and, and another bed. And you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do. I mean, we don't speak the same language. It's, it was very awkward for me to, to feel like very helpless and like I didn't have anything I could physically do. That was Sean Smucker, brilliant author, new friend, and he was just talking about a recent trip that he took to Iraq, where he sat with this boy who had been injured. And what we talked about today spanned all of those things. We talked writing, 
We talked Iraq. We talked kids. We talked how to write a book. You're going to love this conversation with Sean because he is just a gentle soul uh, with a brilliant mind and he can really write. So check out his stuff, seansmucker.com, and enjoy the conversation. Well, I'm here with Sean Smucker. Hey, Sean, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. This is great. I'm honored. Well, it's so great. I, You know, one of the things that I have absolutely loved about doing this podcast is getting getting to meet people like you. Um, people that they, I sort of dive into your writing a little bit and go, oh my gosh, you know, and then the ask goes out, hey, you know, would you consider being a part of the podcast? And then when there's a gracious yes, and I, I just love these conversations. So I'm so looking forward to it. Um, and I want to talk a lot about writing. Uh, so um, I know you, when you're in your 20s, you lived in England for three or four years with your wife. You guys did a business. And then you moved into your parents' basement. <laughs> so, and mm-hmm. I have a story about moving into my parents' basement in my early 30s. So I laughed out loud when I read that part. <laughs> I really did. Um, but kind of tell us a little bit about the business, but then especially about that transition from deciding to move back and um, start a new thing. Yeah, sure. So we were in England for four years from 01 to 05. We moved over right after 9-11 happened actually within a month. Um, and then we were in Virginia for four years. I had a painting business in Virginia and that was, that was the transition from there to my parents' basement was, um, it was really challenging. It was one of the hardest times in our life for different reasons. We didn't really want to leave Virginia. We loved our friends there. We loved our church there. Uh, but we had racked up a huge amount of debt with this business after the the bubble hit in 08, 09. And we were just ready to start over again. I mean, we just, we felt like we needed to hit the reset button. We found ourselves living a, a life really driven by materialism. Hmm. And it just didn't, it just didn't seem right. It didn't sit right with us. So we were fortunate. We were able to, to sort of, to, to shift out of that. And when we made the move, I had just started co-writing and ghostwriting. So my first book was in 08, uh, which I co-wrote with Ann Byler. And then my second book was in 09, uh, which was about uh, the Amish schoolhouse shooting that took place here in Lancaster. And so I had those two books under my belt with publishers, and I had a few potential projects. uh, And that sort of intersected with this difficult financial time. So we made the leap. We went, moved in with my parents. We had four kids at that time. And we just, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, it was sad. It was hard, but it was also, it felt good. You know, it felt invigorating. Like for the first time I was doing something I love to do. And we really felt like it would be a chance for us to start over. So uh, that was in '09, the end of '09. We moved in with my parents, and I just started focusing on trying to find co-writing, ghostwriting work. Yeah, it's, and you, um, in one of your books, I think it's the Writing Life. Um, did I say that right? The it, uh, Building Life Out of Words. Was building the, Life I, Out of Words. Be the one you're thinking of. Yeah. So exactly what it was—a writing life, nothing at mm-hmm. all. What the title was. Um, but, but you kind of, when, when things were really tight, you got an opportunity 
to move down to New Orleans for three months and earn some money um, helping with the hurricane relief work. And you turned it down. But talk about that because that sounded like such a such a pivotal moment of commitment to your writing. That was a huge moment. And you know what? I, it's one of those things is so long ago that I almost don't think about it anymore. <laughs> so for you to say that for a moment, I'm like, oh, my goodness, we did that. Yeah. So we were. Yeah. I mean, we were really hard up for money, you know, and. One of my friends found out about it and her dad had a logistics company that was doing some work down there in the wake of the hurricane. And he said, Hey, I've got, you know, I've got some work. Um, I can't remember exactly how much it was per month, but it was a lot. Like for us, it was a lot. Yeah. And my wife and I sat down and, you know, to be honest, we were having a really tough time in our marriage at that point. We had been through a lot. We were both feeling beaten down and kind of wondering what in the heck we were up to. And And I think we had made so many decisions in the previous 10 years, totally based on money. Like, where can I go to make the most money? Where are we going to live in the nicest house? Where, you know, those sorts of things. And it all came to a head in that decision. And we realized for me to be away at that point for three months with our marriage being where it was, with the decisions that we'd made in the past, we just thought, it's just not the right thing to do. And it was really hard decision to make because like I said, we needed the money and we had relatives who were like, wait, what you're doing? What you're not going, you're living in your parents' basement, but you're not going to go make this money that you could make. And the thing with the job was it was, it was every day for three months. So it was not like I could come home on the weekends or Miley could come down. It was literally seven days a week, you know, 16 hours a day for three months. So, um, so I decided no, and that was a really weird decision. But looking back, it was during the time that I would have been gone that I made that that I made that um, that I was approached to write my first book uh, for Anne. And it's really it's almost scary to think about what my life would be like now if I hadn't written that book. Yeah. Because that book led to every other book that I wrote. Yeah. And yeah, it, it kind of gives me that same sense as when you like look over into the Grand Canyon and you think, I could jump. <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's the feeling that I get when I think about not writing that book. Because yeah. I can't imagine anything in my life would be the same if I had taken that taken that job offer. You know, it, I, I was talking to a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Natan. He's a he's a rabbi, and he was talking about these little moments. I think he called them mitzvot, the, the Hebrew word mitzvot. You know, these tiny little decisions we make that turn out to be, and they feel. I mean, that one is a is a bigger decision, but um, but in the span of your life, like it's not the yeah. biggest decision ever. No, exactly. But the but these little decisions we make that actually quite a bit hangs on that decision, you know, yeah. and there are good decisions and not so good decisions. And we can certainly, you know, claw ourselves out of a bad one, but mm-hmm. to hear you say, man, I can't even imagine what my life would be like, you know, if I had made that decision to go down to New Orleans, who knows? Um, yeah. it's a little sobering, right? I mean, mm. it's a little sobering. So if you can remember, I mean, that's, you know, near, that's eight years ago, but 
was there like a sense in your gut, like, gosh, and you talked about your marriage and, but like, was there an, inter- like, how did you make that decision? Well, I mean, it was at, at the time, it really did feel like primarily uh, a relationship marriage decision. My wife sat down and, I mean, we talked about it for probably a week, you yeah. know, it was, it was off and on and it was something that we had to make that decision quickly. We didn't have a ton of time right. to think about it. So we talked to, you know, we talked to friends, we talked to our parents, we talked to each other and it, yeah, the three months, it just seemed like it just wouldn't be a good idea. And I, and maybe it was a gut level response. Maybe it was something that came out of prayer more than I remember. Um, you know, it was a while ago, but, but there just, there was just like this, this danger, this sense of like flashing danger, like this path looks good, but but don't do it. And, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's hard to, it's hard to put a finger on exactly what, what that was all about. So then you got invited over to this woman's house. I remember reading, uh, you know, you didn't really know what it was about, but she was like, Hey, you're a writer. Um, why don't you write my book? Right. Is is that how it kind of panned out? Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was my aunt actually. Okay. Right. um, Right. Hadn't seen her for a while. We were, and I had, yeah, I had jumped ahead in the timeline there for you when I talked about uh, moving back up from Virginia because actually, so we were in, you're right, we were in England and then we were in between like businesses and that's when, when this all happened, when I had a chance to, to go to New Orleans and then when I met with my aunt. And so we sat down and I had never written anything book length up to that point. She had been approached by a publisher to write her story, but she wasn't a writer, so she knew she'd have to hire a writer. And she asked me if I would uh, write some sample chapters. I was like, yeah, this would be awesome. So I did, and uh, Thomas Nelson ended up picking it up. They liked my writing. They said, yeah, let's do it. So that was was the first book that I wrote. And it was was for Ann Byler, and it was called – oh, my goodness, this was 10 years ago. It was um, Twist of Faith. Yeah. And it was the story of, of Auntie Ann's soft pretzels and how that all started. So great. Um, yeah, and we'll, so I'll, I'll list that on the show notes for folks to all your books that you've written. Um, so when it comes to sitting down and doing the work of writing, what are some of your practices that some of your routines, some of your rhythms, do you always write in the same place? Do you always try to write a certain amount of words per day? Um, how do you, how do you navigate that? I, I like to change things up. So most days I stay home. I have a study yeah. uh, up on the third floor, work at home. So most days I write there, but I do like to get out too. I, I love writing in cafes, coffee shops, and, and places like that. Uh, Prince Street Cafe is a great spot here in Lancaster that I'm at uh, maybe once a week or so. Um, so yeah, place, but it is important to me. Place does make a difference. And sometimes if I'm in kind of a funk, I'll try and change that up, go somewhere different or... Yeah. Um, Timing wise, I really like to write before noon as much as possible. Um, so when I'm, it, it, things kind of change depending on what I'm working on. You know, so I write uh, the the memoirs that I that I co-write for people. The different phases, you know. So I'll be interviewing people, uh, and that takes I need to get about twenty hours of interviews to get enough material for a book. Then there's the transcription of those, and then there's the turning the transcriptions into the book. 
when I'm in that phase of turning the transcriptions into a book, my goal usually is 2,000 words a day, yeah. which kind of sounds like a lot maybe for some people, but it because I'm going on transcriptions that I've already typed out, it's a relatively quick process. When I'm working on a book for myself, uh, a novel or or nonfiction writing, I really try to to find a space in my life where I know I can commit to that book for like three or four months. So uh, I've got a, a novel that's due to my publisher by the end of this year, and I'm really coming up on that time now where I where I want to officially start. And then once I officially start, to me that means putting in time every day. Yeah. And a minimum of a thousand words. So sometimes that takes an hour. Sometimes that takes half a day. Sometimes it doesn't usually take more than half a day, but sometimes I'll just sit there and it'll be hard, hard writing. Yeah. But normally, yeah, I mean, a thousand words is, 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 is kind of a generic goal that I go with. And it's something that whenever I coach people or when I teach writing classes, a thousand words a day is really kind of an important benchmark for me. I yeah. think because if you're consistent at a thousand words a day, you can write a book in three months. And so a lot of people look at writing a book as a huge obstacle or something that's going to take them, you know, years. And so that to me, I think is why that 1000 words a day is such an important goal. It could be 500 words a day. Maybe that works better for you. Maybe 300 words a day, but whatever the, whatever the word count goal is, if you can, if you can match consistency with, a certain period of time, it's it's cool to see how those words add up and how quickly you can actually write a book. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I wrote my first book. I mean, my my kids were little; they were tiny. Mm -hmm. I got up at five a.m. and wrote about yeah. five hundred to seven hundred fifty words in the morning most mornings. Or yeah. I sat at, at the island of my kitchen. You know, it was yeah. dark outside <laughs> and just clack clack clack. Yeah. And I, I think there is something about the daily experience of it, too, that you become such a better writer when you write yes. more consistently like that. I had someone um, email me one time and say, hey, you know, can we get together and talk about writing? And I said, yes, after you write for six months, mm. you know, write mm. every day for six months, um, block, you know, publish some things, block... And um, and then let's get together, you know, I was super excited. Yeah. Because I think... Um, those of us who want to be writers, like there was a time in my life when I, I would say I'm a writer, you know, mm -hmm. and then people would say, well, what have you written? And I'm like, uh, nothing, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, didn't I like the idea issue. of writing. <laughs> like the idea. So, yeah. so yeah. So I had to actually sit down and, 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 and pound it out, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so what are some writers that you're reading now that you're loving? What are some books that you're loving and some authors that you're loving? I well, as far as authors go, I'm I'm big on rereading books because I really like to 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 try and pull them apart as much as possible and see what is this author doing? Why do I love this book so much? So, I've been rereading Marilyn Robinson this year. I reread Gilead a couple times. Yeah. I just got through listening to Home yeah. on Audible, and her writing is just so beautiful. Um, but the funny thing is, like as you start to look at it, you realize she's incorporating the same ideas, uh, the same the same writing concepts as far as like putting in an early hook. You know, like you read Tom Clancy or you read an action writer, or and and you it's so the hooks are so obvious. You know, like it, it happens in the first 
chapter and, and you suddenly want to know what's going to happen. Marilyn Robinson does the same exact thing, but it's so subtle. And that's, I think, the difference. So I've been rereading her. I read, um, I read Ready Player One for the mm. first time. Yeah. And that was fun. It's a fun book. It, it was much more story-based than, uh, than, say, like strong writing. But the storytelling's fabulous. Uh, what else am I reading? I've been on a big Audible kick because I've been Ubering so much recently. I'm between writing projects, so I've been yeah. driving for Uber. And uh, when I'm driving, I, it's just a great time to listen. And I found that listening to books really ha- has helped me learn a lot about writing. I think just hearing the words hmm. instead of just looking at them has been a really interesting experience. I, I One of my favorite books is The Brothers K by David yes. James Duncan. Yes. Uh, and, I, and I listened to that book. And it was such a different experience. It was like, it was almost painful because it's so sad at different points that I almost had to stop it. And I think when I'm reading, I can kind of, I can kind of um, guard myself against those emotions by either skimming yeah. or by reading faster so that it doesn't impact me as much. But when you're listening to someone read every single word, it was almost physically painful. Like I had almost a physical reaction to this writing. It was very interesting. And I also listened to probably my favorite book of all time, uh, Prayer for Owen Meany. Oh, yes, John so Irving. I, I listened to that. I've read the book probably 10 times, but I listened to it for the first time. And again, I had that same sense of just the powerful nature of each and every word. And I think this, this listening to books has shown me that I'm actually kind of a skimmer when it hmm. comes to reading, and it, it does make me want to slow down a little bit in my reading life because I feel like uh, uh, this is getting into a lot of stuff, but I feel like I'm I'm very conflict averse, mm-hmm. and that's something I have to address in my fiction because I want everything to work out way too quickly for my characters, and I need to let that happen. So I think this this aversion to conflict that I have actually makes me read faster to get through the uncomfortable parts. Yeah. And so now I'm listening to these books and the, the sad parts or the, you know, the parts with conflict or the, the parts that are really uncomfortable to read, I'm having to listen to them. And it's, it's really giving me a, a new experience for the books, which, which is interesting because these are some books that I've read many, many times, some of my favorite books of all. Mm. Well, you just named a couple of my faves. I mean, Brother, Brothers K, that book, I mean, it just gets deeper and deeper and in a sense, darker and darker, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. so good. But Prayer yeah. for Owen Meany, I, I don't know if I've read it 10 times. I've probably read it six times. And that character, uh, and, and those characters in that book, but that character, Owen Meany, uh, and don't even talk to me about the movie they made. I mean, don't Simon Birch, don't, don't <laughs> yeah, even, no, no, don't no. even, it's not, it's nope, 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 sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah. The book is so good. But I like yeah, what you're that saying. Book really, I'm sorry. I was just going to say that book. I that was the first book that I read in college for my very first lit class, and it had such a profound impact on me. I can't actually imagine what my faith would be like today, twenty years on, if I had never read that book. Yeah. I mean, it just it had such a huge impact on me. Yeah. Ah. Uh, well. I knew I was going to like you, Sean, but that is, that kind of seals it. That kind of seals it. Um, so here's a different kind of question, but what brings you joy? 
Mm. Well, my wife and I have six children, so a really good night's sleep does bring me <laughs> Profound joy. Profound levels of joy. Oh, like, <laughs> 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 uh, to wake up in the morning uh, having had a good night's sleep feels really nice. Uh, joy, that's such a great question. That is such a great question. I really, I feel a lot of joy when I read just a beautifully written section in a book. Um, and that's what I love about my wife is that we both love books and we're both so interested in books. So, uh, you know, if I read something that's just hilariously funny, which actually happens a lot in those books that I love, A Prayer for Onmini and, and Brothers K, even though they're sort of dark-ish overall. Yeah. There are yeah. just some hilarious sections. And I'll try and read them to Miley and just laugh. We'll be laying in bed and just <laughs> laughing. And I think that is probably one of the most joy-filled moments in my life is when I can share that yeah. with her or with anyone, you know, to, to read a section of a book that you just loved. Um, I mean, Garrison Keillor's Laugh Out Loud Funny oh, in, yeah. in his books. And so... Uh, you know, there's a section in one of his books where he talks about sweet corn. Do you remember that? No. Sweet corn is better than sex. And he, and he talks about these old couples like racing out into the fields to like pick fresh corn and they eat it as soon as they can. And oh my goodness, we just, we died laughing about that. But so I think really well-written books definitely, definitely bring me joy. And, and I mean, maybe it's cliche, but my kids, I just, yeah. to, you know, they also make me nuts, you know, oh, like yeah. they, they drive me crazy sometimes. But, but I think you have those moments where, uh, you know, where I'm, where, uh, Leo is two years old and where I'm, I'm at night reading him a book mm -hmm. and on nights where we're not rushed, where we just have a little bit of time and I'm putting him to bed or nights, uh, Poppy is, uh, nine months old now. And so nights where I'm just rocking her mm. and it's completely dark and there's, you know, there's, it feels like there's nothing else to worry about in that moment. I think those are just really joyful moments for me. Gosh, I, I don't think it's, well, maybe it is cliche, but you know, our kids joy and frustration, maybe two sides of, this, of the same coin, you know, right? I mean, the level to which someone can get under our skin and frustrate us is probably the same level. <laughs> Um, that, that they'll bring us joy. I, I was, I was, it, you saw me looking down. I, I was trying to find the title of a book that I just listened to, uh, Sumunk Kid, The Invention of Wings. Have you heard, mm. have you listened to that I've one yet? Heard, no. It's her, it's her newest book. And, um, I too have gotten into Audible a little bit more lately, but that one, especially the mm. readers are, so there's two main characters in this book and there's two different, uh, actors that 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 read it and it is delicious so mm. put that awesome. one Did you on suggest your... that to me on twitter because that sounds really familiar i might have i might have because okay. it's it's been one of my probably um when i read i read too much but um but yeah that's one of the ones that i've just loved loved okay. loved lately um and you talked about reading to your wife i that reminded me the summer after we got married, my wife and I got married. We drove back to Minnesota from Vail, Colorado. We were oh, vacationing wow. out there. So, you know, 20 hours. And we read Beach Music by Pat Conroy to each other. Um, have you, Beach okay, Music. No. Oh, my dear. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I I don't I don't want to give you a list of books, but I kind of do. I mean, but Beach yeah, Music, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pat Conroy is just, I mean, the late Pat Conroy. He, he just died a year or two ago, but okay. Beach Music, one of my faves. I mean, just one well, of my Well, anyone favorites. who loves Owen Meany and Brothers K, I have total trust <laughs> okay. for your recommendations. <laughs> so send me a list, please. Okay, I will. I will. Um, yeah. Okay, a couple more questions. You just went to Iraq, and I'm fascinated by that. Um, I had Jeremy Courtney on the podcast um, a, a little guy. while ago, and I just love that guy. Um, do you know Jeremy? I do. Uh, just a little bit. I've done yeah. a little bit of writing work for Preemptive Love. Uh, okay. So I've worked mostly with Ben Irwin, but yeah, Jeremy's a, Jeremy's incredible. Yeah, just a fascinating guy. But what? So um, if you have a story that you'd like to tell us about Iraq, I know you blogged about it, So, and I'll put those links on the show notes as well. But what's a story that um, is sticking in your mind? Oh man, I mean the the biggest impact for me was going to a field hospital on the east side of Mosul, just outside eastern Mosul. And walking through uh the kids ward and there's a you know a women's and daughters ward and then there's a boys fathers and boys ward and uh we were in the boys ward and one of the boys just started moaning and my initial reaction was, oh, my gosh, he's in pain. Why isn't someone doing something, you know? And then one of the nurses who I was talking to said, oh, he's autistic. And so that immediately that immediately impacted me because I, I, I mean, shame on me, but I don't think about those types of vulnerable people when it comes to war, you know? Like, and yet there, there he was, there they are. Uh, just like our society, there are all types of people, and they're all impacted horribly by war. And so here's this little boy, and I went over and sat in a chair that was sort of between his bed and, and another bed. And you don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. I mean, we don't speak the same language. It's, it was very awkward for me to, to feel like very helpless and like I didn't have anything I could physically do. So anyway, we sat there, and, and one of the nurses – um, grabbed the guitar that one of our teammates had brought along and she went over and just started strumming her guitar beside him. And he went from moaning to listening. And then he kind of peeked up, uh, just held the blanket up under his eyes. And then you started to hear this sound and he was singing. And it was incredible because he was singing in perfect pitch. And his words were perfectly in rhythm with her strumming that she was doing and it just sounded incredible and we just kind of sat there and she just kept playing over and over and over again and it seemed like he would have he would have continued singing all day if she would have kept playing and so while this was going on I stood up and kind of wandered around and asked our interpreter what's he singing you know is do you know what the words are and she said well she said he's singing a lullaby and it's actually a lullaby to his mother who died in the accident where he was injured. And so it was, I mean, you know, to hear these things and to see these, these kids, these vulnerable kids, so impacted, um, you know, to hear the stories of ISIS attaching IEDs to toys and leaving them laying around so that kids would find them, uh, to see the, you know, this, this particular little boy, his dad couldn't even be with him because he had also been injured, but he didn't have identification. So he had to be held in a secure area of the hospital because that's where they put people who could potentially be ISIS. So he was over there 
the little boys by himself. His uncle came in while we were there. Yeah, it was it was just a just a really terrible situation. And, and later that day, we went to a church that had been burned out by ISIS, and and the courtyard, which had once been a beautiful courtyard, was had been used as a firing range. So all the marble colonnades were falling in, and we sort of started wandering around and ended up in this in this wing of the church where the orphanage had been. And we saw a priest and a nun were just digging through this rubble. And you think, oh, they must be, they must be looking for something really valuable. You know, like, I didn't know what, but they were looking. So we asked if we could help them. And the priest held up half of a, of a, um, what do you call it? The, the boards where you would put up like the, 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 not silk boards, the, um, I'm drawing a blank. The felt boards where you put up like the felt Bible school oh, characters yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah, like, yeah. the old felt boards. Flannel graphs. What do you stuff. call it? Flannel graphs. Yeah. yeah. It was, he had half of a flannel graph board and he was looking for the other half because the children were coming back soon. And so he wanted to be able to get back into the routine of telling these stories. And you just think, he's looking for a flannel graph. You know, like it just hit me that of all the of all the valuable things he could have been looking through that all he wanted to do was to find this flannel graph so he could tell stories when the kids came back. Um, there was just, yeah, story after story like that. It was, it was an incredible trip. It was eye opening to me because it, it didn't, Iraq as a whole didn't feel as dangerous as I expected it to. You know, I, I kind of expected to go over there and be hidden away and only go out with high, high security. And that really wasn't the case. I mean, Maybe I had a false sense of security, but for the most part, I felt very safe. Mm-hmm. We walked the streets of Erbil at, you know, during the day, and it, by ourselves, it wasn't an issue. So that was kind of eye-opening, but, but all in all, it was just, it really, it, it, it increased my love even more for Middle Eastern people, for Muslim people, mm-hmm. um, who, are, who are so trapped in this just generational conflict you know it's it's it just goes on and on and on and it's so hard to to see an answer to it i mean you gave so many pictures right there um the autistic boy the priest and you know just to be a priest in mosul you know i mean just let's just talk about that for a second i mean well let's get the building project i mean you know no mm-hmm. we're, we're going to teach these kids we're, we're looking forward to the kids coming back amazing i mean that's just stunning stunning yeah yeah and he gave us uh he gave us each we saw these little wooden crosses that i I don't know who had made them but um so he gave each of us one of those and i realized on the trip home like i had i had bought the kids some toys or or, you know things that knickknacks that i'd found and uh but that little tiny wooden cross i realized was like the most precious thing that i that I ever could have brought back from there. Just the reminder of what they're trying to do uh, in the midst of, of just what felt like total chaos outside of Mosul. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I mean, your kids are young. Well, six kids. How old your oldest? Oldest uh, turns 14 this summer. Okay. So you're on some level communicating some of this mm-hmm. with your kids. Um, how has that gone? Yeah, that was a really cool experience. You know, when I found out I was going, it was only two or three weeks before the trip. So it was pretty last minute. And we sat down with all the kids. Our youngest two 
you know, didn't understand. Leo's two and, and Poppy's only nine months old. But the other four, 14, 12, uh, nine and seven. So they have, they have a concept of what's going on. And, and, you know, one of the first questions, one of them asked was, is it dangerous? And another one said, well, is daddy going to be okay? You know, and, and we want, we, we really strive to be honest with our kids. And so I told them, you know, it could be dangerous. It could be, but this is this is a way of life that we've committed to as a family. You know, we talk a lot. We haven't yet done it, but we talk a lot about creating uh, sort of or coming up with ten words that describe our family and and hmm. our family's mission. And we, you know, every once in a while, we'll, we'll bring it up again. Okay, guys, what what are the words that you're thinking about? And you know, adventure is a big part of our family. Um, living unconventionally when that's the calling is a big part of our family. And, 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 and for me, I want my kids to see that it's important to bear witness to what's going on in the world and Mm. to help people who, who don't have a platform and who can't tell their story to help them do that. You know, that's a part of our family. And so we, we describe that, we explain that to our kids, like this is another opportunity for us as a family, and even though you guys aren't going, uh, you're you're making a sacrifice. You know, you're gonna have a week when dad's not around to help out. Mom's gonna have a week when she's parenting on her own. You know, this is this is something we're choosing to do as a family, and this is why. So, it was really a wonderful opportunity uh, to to sort of re-embrace that that family identity that we have, and and they they handled it really well. Yeah, ah, oh, beautiful. I love that ten words. For your family, that's so good. Um, okay, a couple more questions, uh, Sean. I know you're working on a novel. Uh, that's, in, in, but you know, sort of. I have a love hate relationship when someone asks me, "Hey, what's the book about?" You know, because I yeah, seize yeah, up. Sure. It's like, ah, oh, I don't know. It's about <laughs> some stuff and the person yeah. that's doing this thing. Is there anything you want to talk about regarding the novel? Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, I just love this. I love this story so much. I've just fallen in love with it. Um, and, and, and I love to tell people that really where, what it came, it, the idea came to me out of a collision of ideas. And I think that's where a lot of my fiction comes from is this, just asking what, what if, or what would happen if. And, and so for me, I've always been really intrigued by that first story in the Bible about creation and the fall and, and this sort of banishment from the Garden of Eden and I've always wondered what happened. You know, you're left with this image of the two angels and a fiery sword guarding the entrance to the Garden of Eden, right? What happened to that? You know, yeah. like where where does that go? And and so I what I really did for this book was I basically created a mythology based around what happened next. And so what happens next in the story, as I see it is that these two angels actually end up fighting for the tree of life. Like one wants to possess it and the other one thinks it needs to be destroyed and it gets destroyed. But because it's the tree of life, it constantly regenerates at some random place throughout the world. And so then that story is kind of the backdrop uh, for a very normal story in that it's about a boy whose mother dies and he's determined to bring her back. He can't accept her death. He refuses to accept it. And just at that point, he encounters this story of the tree of life and realizes that the tree has regenerated somewhere close to him. 
And so he wants to find the tree so that he can bring his mom back. But he's not the only one looking for the tree. So there are other, you know, other people involved. And what it really comes down to is this question. Uh, and it's a low, it's a really heavy question, but the question is, could it be possible that death is a gift? Um, and so in, and that's a, that's a, that's a question that I, that I really struggle with. So those are the questions that sort of ram up against each other in this book. Um, yeah. Love it. Wow. It sounds fascinating. Um, so I assume it's coming out sometime in 2018. Yeah. It's called the day the angels fell. It's available for pre-order now on Amazon, and uh, it comes out September 5th. Okay. Gosh. Well, that sounds delicious. I uh, can't <laughs> wait to get my hands on that bad boy. So I love that. I love that. Um, last question. If someone were, like, what's a nugget or two that you share in your writing courses that you might share here for someone that's just getting started writing? Uh, yeah. So the first one that I always say is just write every day. And it's, yeah. it's the same thing that you, you know, you said you mentioned it's that for me, and that's why blogging was so important for me. I mean, it's helped me build a very meager platform. I do not have a huge platform, but it's, it, so there's that side of it. But for me, blogging more importantly was about getting the words down every day. So, you know, for six or seven years, man, every day I was writing three to 500 words to put on my blog. And that, you just can't replace that. You know, over time, that's such an incredible amount of words, such a huge amount of words. And, and it helps you find your voice. It helps you. It just, it just makes such a huge difference. So writing every day would be, would be the one. And the second one I think is you just have to keep believing in yourself. And it's, it's a, it's cliche and it sounds cheesy, but I mean, I was writing for, 19 years, 18 years before I got my first, you know, novel with a publisher. Yeah. That's a freaking long time, man. <laughs> yeah. That's like I mean, and you think if I would have given up at any point up until then, it wouldn't have happened. And so I just want to encourage people who are writing, you know, maybe it feels like it's never going to happen, but you just got to keep going, you know, and there's, if you're, if you're truly a writer and if, if writing is something that you just absolutely have to do, if telling stories is something that you just absolutely have to do, then you can't let, you know, whether or not you're published, whether or not you have an agent, whether or not you're going to get a book deal that can't keep you or influence you, uh, from writing. Um, and you know, even with the day the angels fell, I self published that two and a half years ago. And that was what led to the book deal, which is which is kind of unusual. Usually, publishers aren't that interested in stuff that's already been self-published, but you know, it worked. And and I think, yeah, you just got to keep going. Yeah, and this I think it's really good to hear from you. Um, um, not that we're reveling in the despair, but 19 years. <laughs> I mean, that's a long time. And I think sometimes you know we get the sense that the great ones have always been great. And I mean. Mm-hmm. Sarah Bessie tells a story about she go she went to the writers conference in Michigan. Uh, what's it called, Sean? Um, uh, Festival of Faith and Writing. Yeah, Festival of Faith and Writing, and this was many years ago. Well, I don't know how many years ago, nine years ago or something. And she just couldn't get published, and you know she had her blog, but it wasn't much. And and she she in her hotel room she just pours it out and says, God, okay, I'm never going to be a writer. And she kind of gave it up, like didn't stop writing. 
but she sort yeah. of had this idea, this thing, okay, it's not like publishing and being a, a well-known writer is not going to be it for me. You, know, you think Sarah Bessie, I mean, she's, a, she's an amazing yeah. writer and just a wonderful person. Yeah. And, and, um, and again, it's easy to think that she's just, well, yeah, I mean, everyone loved her from day one. Yeah. Not the case, you know, not yeah. the case. Yeah. So um, I think I would echo your words, just write, write, write. And then, and there is a release in that, right? I mean, you sort mm -hmm. of do have to write for the love of it. And, and also, you know, um, I tend to not believe people who say, I only write for myself, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, eh, okay. <laughs> uh, that sounds a little, maybe there are those people out there. Um, yeah. But most of us are writing because we, we do have to tell stories and because we want people to read them and that's yeah. okay. You know, it's mm -hmm. okay to yeah. want to people to read your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. Yeah. So man, well, you know, something so that, something that comes to mind real quick is I, I think a lot of times today we've got, you know, we've got American Idol, we've got the voice, we've got these, uh, these images that are constantly being projected towards us of successful creative people who are snatched out of their right. young life and put on a pedestal and published and suddenly famous. And that becomes a real strong desire, I think, for some of us is that I want to be found, I want to be discovered, I want to be famous. And, you know, for many years, that was me. Even in my early writing life, I wanted to be the prodigy. You know, I wanted to be the 25-year-old who was writing amazing novels and everybody was loving. And I think as I get older, I just realize how overrated that is and how this process that we're, that we're all on, this journey that we're all on as creatives and as writers is so important and so worth it. You know, even just the journey of writing and of, of having a goal and going towards it, but that, that action of movement um, is, is great. You know, it, it's just such an important part of creating who we are and even influencing the kinds of things that we write. So, yes, yes, yes. Well, Sean, thanks so much, man. This was just delicious for me. Um, energizing and um, helpful. And I can't wait to share it with uh, people, uh, especially thanks people so much, who are. Steve. Yeah, well, you're, you're good, man. You're one of the good ones. So thanks for thanks for taking time and sharing uh, some of your heart um, and some advice for writers. Uh, my hope is that some fledgling writers out there are going to listen to this and make some commitments about writing every day and, you know, yeah, at the island, at the kitchen island at 5 a.m. with yeah. a cup of coffee in their hands, you know. So um, I appreciate it, man, and best of luck as I know you're working on a couple things right now. So best of luck in your projects. Um, and um, thanks for staying connected. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much, Steve. It was great. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Weens, and this is my podcast where I explore humanity, spirituality, and mystery one word at a time. For more about my work, my writing, my preaching, my books, and all that good stuff, head on over to steveweens.com.